Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. Last week on Highways Voices, I brought you some of the chat from Toulouse and the 2022 ITS European Congress. And this week, after experiencing for myself what the challenges have been for air passengers over the last fortnight, I'm back in the UK with another programme about the Congress this week on Highways Voices, thanks to the support of Swaco, Gevi and Notar AI. Highways Voices, in association with partner organisations, the Transport Technology Forum, ITS UK, Elkrig and Adept. We'll hear from Notara and Gevi this week, plus Google and the Connected Places Catapult. And we'll also get the comments from key European policy makers too. But before all that, closer to home, here's Adrian Tatum with some of the stories he's spotted on the Highways News website. And news from the highwaysnews.com website and newsletter this week, a new planning tool developed by the Road Safety Foundation is being launched to help local authorities to model the variables that make active travel safer, more pleasant and less stressful. The foundation has worked in partnership with county councils, including Kent, Hampshire, West Sussex, Staffordshire and Warwickshire, as well as Transport for Greater Manchester, to develop an interactive demonstrator tool to assess how different facilities would perform, both in terms of IRAP star ratings and also the level of traffic stress. Development of the foundation's modelling tool is funded by the grant from the Road Safety Trust to help local authorities explore which ATF facilities work best to make walking and cycling safer. Elsewhere, the Scottish Government is committing more than £30 this financial year to accelerate the shift to zero emission transport. This includes support for zero emission community transport and car clubs, in addition to funding interest-free loans for electric vehicles. It says this approach is designed to support more people and more households on low incomes to make the switch to electric. And SRL, working with Swarco, has announced it has become the only mobile ITS hire supplier to provide local authorities with scalable traffic management software platform. The platform enables the growing number of customers already using it to maintain their permanent systems. And you can see on display at traffic next week. On top of that, you can read about how our friends at JCT have already pretty much filled the programme and exhibition for September's Traffic Signals Symposium, how an intern at National Highways has saved a fortune in just three months, and the RAC warns of a national fuel crisis as prices just keep on rising. All those, plus so many more stories available online, sign up to our daily briefing into your inbox every lunchtime by going to highways-news.com slash subscribe. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. So we'll start with European policy. And whatever side of the Brexit debate you were on, transport is one of the things that Britain definitely has to remain closely aligned with Europe on because so many of the solutions aren't just continent-wide. Frankly, they're global. So I thought I'd start this podcast with a few comments from policy makers. So we'll go back to the opening ceremony for a short speech by Commissioner Andina Vallian, followed by Director of the Transport and Mobility Directorate DG Move, Harold Reuters, speaking at the event's news conference. Ladies and gentlemen, your theme this year, Smart and Sustainable Mobility for All, is precisely the project we are working on at the European Commission to benefit our citizens and businesses. We all know that a sustainable transport system is inherently a smart one. And the sustainable and smart transport system is a resilient one. 
This is exactly the right time to discuss resilience as your Congress in Toulouse is the right space to talk about progress, providing new solutions to our old problems. Our sustainable and smart mobility strategy adopted two years ago sets out how we are approaching a rethink of our transport systems. We want a green and digital transformation of the mobility sector, seeing both passengers and freight using a combination of the most efficient transport modes to complete a journey is just one of its milestones. Disruptive trends such as digitalization, automation, the shared collaborative economy and platforms will all help make this happen. Still, there is one thing that we need more than anything else, and that is data. Availability and quality are both improving, but we still have a long way to go. Five months ago, we adopted a revision of the Intelligent Transport Systems Directive to make transport smarter today and support multimodal, cooperative, connected and automated mobility tomorrow, we propose that crucial data such as speed limits, one-way streets in urban circulation plans or roadworks be made available in digital format and collected. This comes at a cost, but the costs pale in comparison to the benefits and EU funding is available to support collection. In our proposal, we have set clear target dates for each data type to be made available and collected, increasing the areas on TNT network to be covered over time. We have also launched a strong coordination mechanism for data established under the ITS directive. It involves all member states and relevant stakeholders and will help us build a common European mobility data space. Digitalization is happening and we should make sure to exploit its full potential and remain among the global leaders in transport. But we can only do this together. To be smarter, we need to share more share visions, share ambition, share data, share services, and why not share rides and vehicles. Thank you for your attention. It has been underlined by my commissioner, Adina Valian, in the opening uh, statement that she made here today that the uh, sustainable and smart mobility strategy as adopted one half year ago is more than ever with all these crises absolutely needed in order to become again a European society which is resilient and which will be there in time for our youth and for those who will succeed to us. It is absolutely clear if we do not act right now and urgently that we will be simply too late and there has been a clear engagement in the Green Deal that we should try to limit the global warming to one half degrees as far as possible. And this, of course, we should do by making a number of proposals, which the Commission did last year. We have been making proposals, for instance, for alternative fuel infrastructure, that those who will drive electric cars or hydrogen trucks can find everywhere across the Union the places to recharge and refill. We have been making proposals for a trans-European network that is smoothly connected in urban nodes with long distances, with high-speed rail with last-mile connections in ports, in airports, in terminals. We have been making a proposal, and then I come more concretely to the subject of the discussions these three days, on ITS, on applications that should allow to make transport much more resilient and much more robust, and also economically speaking, directly going into the efficiencies that can be greatly improved 
if he would use all the data can be the oil in the machinery. To do that, we have not only made these legal proposals last year, we have also concluded last year two important packages of financial support, the Connecting Europe facility and Horizon Europe. And through these two programs, we also make available the money that is necessary to have, I think, actions ongoing, like we are doing them together with Ethico, together with uh, cities like Toulouse, for instance, on the sharing of data and how that can be done, where, for instance, we have the NAPCOR project, where we have the Sea Roads projects on the CCAM partnership in Horizon Europe, but also, for instance, the city of Toulouse, who is applying for last-mile connectivity on the TNT network. And these are actions that are, of course, limited in size. I mean, our budgets are not infinite. It's more to be seen like seed money, but they can be crucial in order to kickstart some of these actions that are necessary. It will not be easy. I can already see that in Council and in Parliament there will be huge debate because nowadays money is scarce, everything is becoming more expensive and we should be spending public money as wisely as we can. Thank you very much. Interesting thoughts there about funding at the end of his comments there with Herald Writers. And before that, Adina Valian, European Commissioner here on Highways Voices from the ITS European Congress, sponsored by Gevi, Notar AI and Swaco. Swaco improves quality of life by making the travel experience safer, quicker, more convenient and environmentally sound. From software as a service traffic management solutions to parking, VMS, EV charging and road marking too, find out how Swaco can deliver more efficient and safer traffic management. Swaco, the better way every day. Dear listener, let's stop for a moment and thank the people that have made these podcasts possible from Toulouse and will make daily podcasts possible from Los Angeles and the ITS World Congress in September where the world comes together to discuss the future of transport technology and we'll be here to bring you a flavour of what's going on. Our sponsors are Swaco, the, well, you know who they are, and Gevi, the traffic information company from uh, Germany. And we've also got Nota.ai, who are our sponsors from South Korea, who do amazing things with artificial intelligence and machine vision. And what I find fascinating about this isn't just the fact that they're sponsoring and they're supporting us, but watching the growth of a company that a year or so ago I'd never heard of. So I'm sitting here in the convention centre with Heijin Lee from Nota. It's been great to watch a company from South Korea sort of spreading out. You're now you have a base in Berlin and you're growing and you're going to be making a major splash in Los Angeles. Yes, uh, thank you for having me for this podcast. And we are Nota AI based in South Korea as our headquarters. And we recently expanding our offices in Berlin, of course. And now we are aiming to the Los Angeles in this September with our innovative uh, vision AI solutions. So the solutions are basically taking, from what I can gather, any traffic camera and then putting some very clever stuff within the camera to do some edge computing to basically work out what's happening to the traffic. Yes, I think the most clever point that we have is that we can use any other CCTV which are already installed in any other infrastructure in any other local authorities. We are okay with any kinds of CCTV cameras. And based on that images, we can process uh, many kinds of traffic analysis that can improve uh, the traffic flow in local authorities. 
and also connected to the signal traffic control as well. So when you say that, what do you mean? So your cameras can analyse what's going on? Are you doing any sort of traffic prediction? What's different from your solution to, say, just having loops in the road or radar? So let's have an example of um, many situations running on the intersections. So there are many cars going back and forth in different lanes, in different directions, and including the pedestrian crossing the roads. And also there are a lot of dangerous situations, for example, the collision between the pedestrians and vehicles. And our solution first can detect those kind of components on the roads, like the class of the vehicles. For example, the ambulance car, police car, the fire trucks, like this kind of emergency vehicles. So it can help local authorities to give this kind of uh, signal priority by the classification of each uh, different kinds of vehicles. And then it can also predict the collision between, between the pedestrians and vehicles. So to improve those kind of road safety by warning them in advance when the accidents actually happening. And you mentioned about the pedestrians. I guess the other thing that you can do with machine vision is very easily pick up your pedestrians and your cyclists, and especially where we are in the world now with the encouragement of active travel, uh, pick those out and potentially change your traffic management to the benefit of pedestrians and cyclists. We can also detect cyclists apart from pedestrians as well. So cyclists can be detected as one of different modes of transportation and also the one of different modes of pedestrians. So for example in Korea this, there are not many cyclists as they have in UK or other European regions. So at now we are developing more about the components for the cyclist detection to make it more efficient and more working to our solutions in, in this region. And I also hope this kind of components can be a lot helpful to our solutions in European market. And we talked about us all being together in Los Angeles in September. Are you breaking into the American market as well? Yes, of course. And our solutions, officially not exactly for those three solutions. We already did our POC in San Diego for our smart parking solutions with smart pole companies. So it's also based on this kind of AI traffic camera to detect the occupancy of parking, occupancies, parking seats. So yeah, we hope to expand our solution more to the Europe, American market, of course. You should have seen the smile that came onto Heijin's face when I talked about the uh, American market. I think there's probably stuff she's not telling us here on Highways Voices today, but we might find out more when we meet up again in Los Angeles. Heijin, thank you for your support of Highways Voices and of Highways News generally. Lovely to see you here, and we'll see you on the west coast of America in September. Thank you for having me here today. And yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting you again. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Highwaysnews.com. You're listening to Highways Voices from the ITS European Congress in Toulouse. By the time you're listening to this, the Congress will have been over and uh, we'll be starting to think about future events coming up and including the fact that I'll be on my travels again in September doing daily podcasts from the ITS 
World Congress in Los Angeles thanks to the generous support of so far and more sponsorship opportunities are available he said hinting at Swarco, Nota.ai and Gevi and you may remember that last year in Hamburg Gevi and Swarco sponsored our podcast from the World Congress there they're supporting us again this year when we head off to the west coast of the USA and walking through the exhibition I've bumped into Danny Woolard from Gevi so Danny uh, you're uh, not exhibiting you're visiting here well first of all what how have you found the uh, the congress and everybody getting back together again here in the beautiful city of Toulouse so first day today for me here Paul it's interesting because as I say following the Hamburg event which was absolutely rammed full of new visitors I mean it's a little quieter here but that's fine Uh, we chose not to exhibit this year purely because we are putting all of our efforts into a big splash at uh, in Los Angeles for the ITS World Congress and we've also got a couple of mobility related uh, conferences coming up and that's where Gevi is sort of focusing at the moment so I'm here as a delegate um, actually listening to a number of sessions on new mobility active travel just really sort of gaining a little bit more insight for the business to see how where we should be leading so when we chatted in hamburg you were showing off your new kind of like traffic information for cyclists is the sort of possibly the the layman's terms uh, description of your product how's it been going what's been the take up and the interest of of people wanting to get live information for active travel it's not just about live information for the cyclists it's the ability for transport agencies to manage data about their active travel routes their cycling paths so the data will be used we think primarily internally for um, management of those cycleways the product is now pretty much developed in terms of its first stage uh, first phase of the product we are also working on as i mentioned we're going to some uh, other conferences related to mobility there's quite a lot of work going on in the industry regarding development of sort of a whole plethora of what could be classed as intelligent transport systems aimed very much at cyclists so yes information for cyclists but more importantly how does a transport agency manage cycleways cycle paths in terms of closures repairs those sorts of things the things that traditionally Gavi has been involved could it also be used in any sort of planning circumstances i'm thinking of the podcast we ran a couple of weeks ago of chris boardman's speech at the transport technology forum conference where he was talking about making it safer and easier for people to cycle and walk and that you know you've got to make that work first you can't just say start cycling and walking on the existing infrastructure is there a way that gevi can help local authorities with that side of things so I think I'd, I'd just jog back sort of 30-odd years when we all got involved in sort of, you know, real-time traffic information and, you know, it was the, this situation of a chicken and egg, you know, developing data sets for navigation systems, but there were no navigation systems for those data sets. And I think we're seeing the same in the mobility and the mass market as well. 
there's it has to start somewhere i've had some very interesting conversations with companies involved in collecting automated data the whole concept of floating bike data is very much there and people say well you know what's what's the issue why would you report that to a cyclist and it's not about that it's looking at um volumes of cyclists prioritizing signals all those things now the fvd in the traffic world can do and it's trying to project forward about how that could be done for cyclists as well you say 30 years danny i would like to point out 30 years ago i was playing records on the radio it was 21 years ago that you and i first started working together on the first rds tmc traffic service in in car in the uk uh, but actually 21 years is quite a long time that we've been working together well a little bit more of a plug for gevy because gevy is in its 30th year this year so the work in Europe uh, regarding uh, broadcast traffic data and broadcast traffic services actually did start 30 years ago. I'm not quite there in terms of a 30th anniversary now, but certainly 25. When I first started to get involved in running the service and developing the service in the UK. So it does make me feel slightly old, but uh, hey, I'm getting old. We've been about a bit. We will catch up in Los Angeles, if not before. I know there's another project you're working on, Danny, that we haven't got time to talk about now, but is really interesting with Equal. So can I drag you on to be the main guest on one of our regular Highways Voices in the next few weeks? Yep, sure. We'll look forward to it, Paul. We're still to hear from the Connected Places Catapult and Google on this week's Highways Voices. But first, let's get back to the UK with news from our partners, Here's Lucy. Highways Voices, with the latest news and events from our partner organisations ITS UK, Elkrig, Adept and the Transport Technology Forum. On the 7th of April, the Department for Transport announced the launch of Live Labs 2 with £30 million of funding for a new three-year UK-wide programme. Since then, Adept has been working closely with DFT to finalise the format for the new programme, which aims to support the creation and or maintenance of net zero highways and local roads. ADEPT will be running in-person seminars across the UK at the end of June and beginning of July. Their aim is to introduce the challenge and scope of Live Labs 2 and to market test the programme approach with local highways authorities and their partners before publishing the Live Labs 2 prospectus and application details later this summer. Details on how to register are available on the ADEPT website. Meanwhile, representatives from more than 40 local authorities have signed up to attend this year's Innovation Festival, delivered by the Local Council Roads Innovation Group. The event, on the 6th and 7th of July at the Newark Showground, will be a first-of-its-kind event, making the case for innovation by giving qualifying innovators the chance to receive funding to develop an innovation or facilitate a trial of their product or solution on a local authority network. A number of local authorities have committed to making their networks available for trials and a portion of all exhibition space and sponsor sales at the festival will be put into the Elkrig Steve Berry Innovation Fund to be distributed to the winning innovators or to contribute to the cost of a trial for each innovation category. More information on how to apply to be a qualifying innovator can be found on the Elkrig website. There are still some fully funded public sector delegate places available along with limited sponsorship and exhibitor packages. Visit the Elkrig website to find out more. The presentations from the Transport Technology Forum Conference in Liverpool are now up on the organisation's website. If you were there and want to review what you saw or couldn't make it and want to find out what went on, go to the TTF website and click on Resources. The good news is the main event was recorded too and is currently being edited, so you'll get to see all of that on the TTF website very soon. Finally, ITS UK is looking forward to meeting existing and prospective members in Birmingham next week. 
26 members are exhibiting at Traffex from Tuesday to Thursday, and ITS UK will lead sessions on collaboration, road worker safety and resilience on Tuesday, end of life and the circular economy on Wednesday, and on National Air Quality Day on Thursday, the organisation's Carbon Ambassador Keith McCabe takes part in a number of sessions. Don't forget to subscribe to Highways Voices to keep up to date with the latest edition. We're on your favourite podcast platform. I was very pleased to moderate a session on how to actually get the message of ITS out to people because the one of the issues that we often find is that projects happen, uh, they get written up, they go on a website somewhere and then are promptly forgotten and then somebody does another project again. And the sharing of best practice is the thing that the industry isn't necessarily very good at, which is frankly one of the reasons that I set up Highways News with Adrian and we have Highways Voices in order to share that best practice. Now the Manual for Smart Streets is something that we covered a couple of months ago with Daniel Hobbs and Darren Capes here on Highways Voices. Well Howie Chow is from the Connected Places Catapult and presented on the Manual for Smart Streets here in Toulouse and Howie the first thing is that before we move on to sharing best practice i guess the first question is what is the manual for smart streets if we recall manual for streets which is deemed as the bible in the industries a repository of guidances on everything about streets then and if we look at going forward what the streets looks like tomorrow it's going to be a lot more complex It's going to be connected. We know with the emergence of connected vehicles and autonomous vehicles coming. So what does that street look like in the future? And we need to provide that structure, that guidance, the tool allows our local authorities in the UK as well as the rest of the world to understand what that could be. Okay, so it's about sharing the use cases so that a traffic engineer, a highways engineer in local authority A has somewhere to go to understand what's already been done in local authority B. Correct. We mentioned there's a lot of things happening, a lot of great successes, pilots, pockets of those dotted all around. But what we often find is that there's no way to collect it all in a structured way to be able to articulate the sort of grand challenges the services being provided by local authorities on streets and through use cases and through through the work we've done and in understanding also the delivery life cycles of services we're trying to combine that with the two-dimensional view so how can we introduce how can local authorities engage with particular use case and thinking about the high level architectures starting from the objectives the vision and with their priorities down to the high level architecture and what who the users might be the actors and those that will be involved in the system to help them understand what they need to be covering the session that we had here in Toulouse was all about getting the message out there, sharing best practice. How are you going to share the manual for smart streets? How are you going to make sure that those that really need to use it are aware of it and engage with it? So we're here at ITS Europe to talk about the manual for smart streets and we've also attended the TTF forum earlier this month. This is our 
way in currently disseminating about the launch of the Manual for Smart Streets. But we've also been engaging with local authorities in this development. So some of the local authorities that have been engaged and as well as suppliers are aware of the Manual for Smart Streets already. As we're building up to launch this, we are going to be going to several conferences and events to talk more about the introduction of this when it launches. Well, it will be all over Highways News and we'll keep it up to date on Highways Voices as well. Howie Chow from Connected Places Catapult, thanks very much for your time. You're listening to Highways Voices, thanks to the sponsorship from Swaco, Gevi and Nota AI. And also on the session with Howie was Google Cloud Strategic Business Executive Chris Haas, who discussed machine learning. Afterwards, I grabbed a few words with him. Chris, a fascinating conversation about machine learning. The interesting thing you said in your session was that machine learning and ITS is is very difficult to actually make work. Explain why. Uh, There's a few few reasons. Um, One, I think that machine learning is a new enough topic. You know, new mean in the last decade has become more prevalent. And I don't think ITS has had the talent influx of the data scientists uh, and people that would be needed. When I think of ITS, I'm not thinking necessarily of the research, the universities. They, they will generally have that type of talent. I'm thinking more of like the actual roadway operators themselves don't have the capabilities or the skills to really do machine learning. Um, the other one is more that everyone thinks machine learning will fix their problems regardless of what their data looks like. So they'll throw spaghetti data at it and expect it to give you some really amazing insight. That's just not the way it works. It starts with organizing, understanding your data before you can apply machine learning. There was, and I'm going to massively misquote a comment from the Vietnam War that was, when you can't measure what's important, what you can measure becomes important. Is there an issue there that sometimes within the data that you're bringing in, if you're not bringing the right data in, then you're going to get answers that aren't necessarily going to be helpful? Yeah, I I would translate that to bias in machine learning. Bias, there's both human bias, there's also data bias. So human bias is you're kind of searching for the answer that you want, not necessarily searching for the answer the data is going to give you. Uh, so you have the human bias. The data bias is you just really haven't understood your data to a, to the point to understand whether it is um, an unbiased data set. So you've gathered enough broad data to bring in all aspects of it. That could be, this comes in a lot in, hu- in humans. You know, when you're thinking about human data versus necessarily traffic data, but you could with traffic data think about, am I bringing in both different types of automobiles that are, as well as other vehicle classes like trucks and semis into my data set if I'm going to analyze congestion. If you're only analyzing it across sedans, you're going to get a very different answer than if you're analyzing it across freight. So where can ITS bring in machine learning and bring in um, that sort of level of next generation data understanding and what benefits will it bring us? Uh, one, continue to work with your the research universities because they will have the skill sets. Um, and let's summarize that in my presentation. Think about how you operationalize the research the universities are doing. So you can leverage their talent and bring it into the ITS world and, and actually think about how you go into production with the research project that they're using. Also think about using cloud technology. A lot of ITS software is developed, uh, you know, it's been developed over three plus decades. So it's, you know, you have legacy tech debt. 
that doesn't allow you to be innovative. So how can you take that legacy technology and uh, either move it into cloud and then uh, and leverage new services that are available to really start understanding the data better, bringing the data into an environment that makes it easier to analyze so that you can get those insights. So once you are in a more mature way using the data outside of the legacy systems, both consider about how you're breaking down data silos and bringing lots of disparate data sets together and analyzing it, then you can start thinking about how you apply machine learning. Now, I'm quite unusual as a journalist because my degree was actually in mathematics and then I ended up writing for a living. There aren't many of us like that. I would say that one of the reasons I think I so enjoy writing about transport is because there is so much data involved and there is so much modelling and things that, whilst I couldn't possibly do it myself from 30 years ago when I graduated, um, at least I've got the feel for it. So I would suggest that some of the people listening to this podcast would say, well, we already do that. We already use vast amounts of data in our jobs. What's he talking about? So so where is the next level when it comes to actually, you know, what we could be doing with the data that we're not doing already? Well, first, uh, similar. I put down my development keyboard many years ago, so I've moved from being a software engineer into talking about how you can maybe implement software versus actually coding it. So um, similar path. I would say there's been more of a, and this is, this is not an ITS issue, it's, it's a general technology issue, IT issue, of you think about what the technology stack is first before what you want to understand from your data. So I'm going to build up a data warehouse, and it's going to, and it's going to be this massive server with a lot of software on top of it, and a large database, I'm going to push all my data into it before I even start thinking about how am I going to use the data and, and help me solve my business needs. Business, and when I say business here, I think of like a road operator, a public authority that, you know, their business, what are they delivering for citizens or for drivers um, when I say business? So I reverse that and I call it a use case. Like I think about what's the thing that we're delivering, what's the business need, and then I figure out what the technology is. So just reversing, I think, our traditional way of thinking about applying technology to problems, which then helps you really think of the end result first. Then you figure out what data you need. And then you start analyzing the data to, to help you deliver on what that outcome is. Chris Haas of Google Cloud almost wrapping up a busy old highways voices. But before we go, there's always time for Adrian's accolade. Adrian, who wins this week? My accolade this week goes to the team at Shell. Shell has launched a new biocomponent binder that locks carbon within rows instead of releasing it back into the atmosphere. The Cell Bitumen Carbon Sink Binder locks carbon into asphalt and bitumen, turning rows into technical carbon sinks. As the asphalt is recyclable, most of this carbon will not re-enter the atmosphere, even at the end of its life. High levels of asphalt recycling ensure that carbon is kept within a circular economy and stored within other applications. Just one of the reasons why they're a worthy winner of my accolade this week. Thanks, Adrian. And that's it. We're more than out of time today. So all I'll say is thanks again to you for listening and to the sponsors, Gevi, Swarco and Nota for making our podcast from the ITS European Congress possible. And they'll be back supporting us, presenting podcasts from the ITS World Congress from Los Angeles in September. So thanks to them. Closer to home, we'll chat again next week here on Highways Voices. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry. 